0: Greetings one and all and welcome to another podcast from the heart of Spurgeon. As we work our way through the sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Victorian pastor, preacher, evangelist, mainly collected in the Metropolitan Tabernacle Pulpit, we're in volume 12 at the moment. Each week we read seven sermons, usually one a day, and each week we select a particular sermon, a representative sample over time of the output of this sermon a gifted and gracious man. Fields White for Harvest is this week's sermon title. It's uh, number 706, as we've said, and the text is John chapter 4 and verse 35. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. It's uh, an assault on Christian despondency, and deferred hope. Here's the preacher's introduction. Many unbelieving Christians have a very large stock of reasons for not expecting to see many conversions. They suppose that any present manifestation of the divine power in connection with the truth is not to be expected. They read the history of past ages, and they wonder, and sometimes when their eye is sufficiently clear, they look forward with some sort of hope to the repetition of these scenes in future years. That is to say, when they themselves are dead and buried, and a new age shall have come upon the world. But as to God working any wonders in the world now, as to the conversion of thousands now, they do not expect it, and if it were to happen they would be surprised, and beyond all measure astonished. They are forever dwelling in the past or seeking to roost in the future, but as for now, now seeing God's arm made bare, now setting to work for the conversion of men, now expecting that God will win hearts unto himself, they are not brought up to this mark yet. If you'll forgive me a brief plug, we've recently released, uh, not through Media Gratii, the excellent producers of this podcast, uh, but through Reformation Heritage Books, a a documentary on Revival, which you can find at revival.movie. But if you're uh, looking at that, I think that's just the kind of problem that Spurgeon would warn us against. To look at a documentary on the history of revival, the work of God through the ages, and then to say, it's wonderful that that once happened, it's great that it might happen again, but there's no prospect of any blessing now. Spurgeon says, you know that this is the general feeling at present in the Christian church. Not to expect any great things now, but to be waiting and watching for something or other which may one of these days, in the order of providence, turn up. And this is, at least, uh, where I'm ministering very much the order of the day. There's hope, but it's always deferred. And so, in the Sunday school, how many a teacher does not expect to see the children of his class converted, but fondly hopes that perhaps when they are grown up, the benefit of the instruction which he imparts to them... May be apparent. I've been in that position myself. Take the most of our ministers, and what are they looking for? They hope that God may visit their congregations. But as to holding inquirers' meetings every week and expecting to find people crying, Sir, what must I do to be saved after their sermons? All this is not according to their notions. Truly, my brothers, one's ear has been dinned and dunned with it till one has got sick of hearing that there are yet four months and then comes harvest. Patience is a virtue, but sometimes decision is a greater one. This perpetual sense that we're not to look for a blessing now. To wait may be well, but not when men are dying, nay, when hell is filling, not when immortal souls are in jeopardy, not when the plague is raging, and we have today to stand between the living and the dead and wave the censer of the gospel of Jesus Christ that the plague may be stayed. So, four months, four months four months. Have there not been months enough already? Expect a present blessing, says the preacher. Believe that you will have it. Go to work to get it, and do not be satisfied unless you do have it. Let me dream dreams of the future and put you off from looking for a blessing in the future alone. For though it may be true that your words will be blessed after you are dead, yet do not be content with that hope, but want them to be blessed now. So Spurgeon wants us to bring our expectations of God into the present. And he wants to take then that text, John 4.35, in three ways. Signs of harvest, wants of harvest, that is, what do you need for a harvest, and fears of harvest. Very simple outline, these three punchy headings. Often Spurgeon's headings, if you're thinking of this in a preacherly way, uh, tend to be a little more uh, expansive. Uh, maybe a little bit more concrete, uh, a little bit more descriptive. These ones are just these uh, punchy phrases. Signs of harvest, wants of harvest, fears of harvest. So then, the signs of harvest. What are the indications when the Saviour spoke in that way from which the disciples might expect an immediate gathering of souls? I answer first that there was this sign, that the Saviour had preached a sermon and that the whole of his congregation had been converted. You'll remind me that he only had one hearer, says Spurgeon, but that's the first point. The conversion of one soul by the gospel should be to you a hopeful sign that God intends to convert others. So every time you see the work of God, it is a reminder to you of God's willingness and ability to save others, and not necessarily at some future point, but here and now. Then there's another hopeful sign, namely that this one convert was at that very moment diligently engaged in making more converts. This is the the woman at the well who'd left her water pot and gone into the city and spoke to people and said, you've got to come and hear this man. We hear a great deal of strategy, says Spurgeon. It was our saviour's strategy to bless the men of Samaria through this woman. This, he says, is the blessing about the gospel, that if it gets into one person's heart, it is sure to run from that one to all those who live in the neighborhood and who are the surroundings of that saved one. At which point, perhaps some of us will be asking, has the gospel really then got into my heart in the way that it should? So that one conversion, that one saved sinner, ought to be the, the fountainhead, of uh, the gospel spreading out around them. And then there's a third sign, better still, namely that those others were actually coming to hear. They were all coming to listen to the preaching of the Christ. Now, who cares to go to hear where the preaching is dull? Some charity boy on being asked why the, the Ethiopian eunuch went on his way rejoicing replied that it was because Philip had finished preaching to him. I don't doubt, says Spurgeon, that there are some who now from the same cause go on their way rejoicing when the sermon is over. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, he says, I am persuaded there never was a time when people were more willing to listen to the gospel of Christ than now. At that point, we ought to pause and say we recognize in taking encouragement from this sermon that we are not living in the season of blessing that Spurgeon enjoyed. That cannot in itself become an excuse for us to say it's not going to happen today, but we recognise that that's not true of the most of us under these circumstances. Now, that shouldn't then excuse us from our despondency. It shouldn't give us a reason to say, actually, this sermon is irrelevant. What it should do is, is remind us that we still need this hope. In fact, we need it all the more. People, he goes on, they will hear it only if you preach it so that it can be understood. Do not, of course, expect them to listen to you if you are not earnest about what you have to say. But if you have something to tell them that's worth their hearing, never fear, but that but what they will give you the hearing. Now, the that the principle there is still the same. Our preaching ought to be lively and engaging. And in Christ's case, there were many who were coming to hear. We may need to, as it were, shift our hopes back a little bit in terms of maybe hoping that God will bless our preaching so that the one is converted. But still, the hope is that these things will happen in our day. Then there's another sign to which Spurgeon turns. Our Saviour knew that a harvest was approaching because the people who were coming to hear were the very people who seemed the least likely to listen to his word. That would be a wonderful sign for some of us, wouldn't it? To have people who are uh, the most unlikely converts coming to hear the gospel. We're too often inclined to divide up our hearer's actual or potential into the ones who are likely to be saved and the ones who aren't, forgetting that there is no likely convert. There's no dead person who's likely to come back to life. It's all of grace that any dead sinner lives. And then another sign, it's an omen for good when we recollect the men who have laboured before us. How many earnest men have wept and toiled among our teeming masses and have gone back to their master with, Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? There must be some good from the preachers who have gone before us, says Spurgeon. Has all this labour been spent for nothing? Has the ground been watered by the sweat of these men? And have they ploughed it and sown it? And is there never to come a harvest? So you you think of uh, perhaps the preachers and the pastors who've gone before in the church where you're a member. You think of the generations of work that have in some cases been done. Faithful men and women plodding away, doing their work, serving as they can. That ground has been watered. Now, if they've been doing the watering, if they've been doing the sowing, could it not be now that the time has come for reaping? And then, says Spurgeon, another sign of good for the Church of Christ comes when there is a stir among the people. The worst thing, perhaps, for true religion is the stagnation of the human mind. And again, we say, well, that seems to be characteristic of our age. Nevertheless, we still have hope because God can overcome these things today when people are not thoughtful about other things, it is very seldom that you can get them to be thoughtful about religion. Perhaps that's not how we think. We hear people who perhaps do engage and do argue and do struggle and do uh, push back. Actually, says Spurgeon, that's what you want. We tend to think that the people are easier when they're they're not very responsive, perhaps when they're a bit more apathetic. That's someone we can easily deal with. But no, we want people who are engaged. I believe, he says, that where the intellect is most exerted above other things, there is, on the whole, the most hope of sending home some thought about divine things. That is, if people are engaged, if they're stimulated, if they're interested, if they're perhaps even ready to debate and to argue, That's not a bad thing because it means they're actually thinking. And then to conclude on this point, it is quite certain that at the present period, the old priestcrafts do not hinder men from hearing the gospel. He says, at least at this point in time, uh, there is uh, some scope for the preaching of the gospel. There's no dominant priestcraft to hold back the gospelers. Up then, believers! If the Bible is worthy your belief, proclaim it to others and proclaim it especially just now. Now is the day and now is the hour for the fields are white already to the harvest. Now again you might say and we have noted that some of those signs are not the signs that we currently see in the society to which I perhaps belong and maybe you also, the the culture in which we live but i think there are other signs that we might take and use as encouragements for ourselves it seems to me typical that very often the light will shine when the darker darkness grows deepest and if that's the case perhaps we should say that the manifest need of the times is a sign that christ is ready to work there are uh, uh, there's a a pressure perhaps that builds a need for congregations to be praying again, and if people, men and women, gather to plead God's blessing, if churches are animated to seek the face of the Lord, not a few stragglers gathering together now and again to to go through their regular routines of talking praying but rather a church that is united hearts and voices men and women making the effort boys and girls gathering together so that a church at prayer pleads for the lord that would be a good sign of a harvest coming so then spurgeon gives us some signs we might take others the point is that there are these signs of harvest that moves on then to the the want of harvests the the needs that we have for harvest. And again, Spurgeon runs through a few of them quite briefly here. First, many labourers. If many souls are to be converted, there must be many to preach to them. Certainly there's no machine to do this work of soul-reaping. It must be done by men, chosen men, who, filled with the Spirit of God, shall go forth to ingather souls. Now, no machine. We might say no machinery. We need men who are ready to get their hands dirty, who are ready to get eye to eye and face to face with the people to whom they preach. Are we pleading with God for the raising up of this and the sending out of labourers for the harvest field? We need the workers of God's kingdom to be given to us and stirred. We need men to preach, men and women to witness to their friends and their neighbours, all kinds of people to be engaged with the appetite and the desire of seeing others saved. The next thing then that is wanted, as well as more labourers, is sharp sickles. You'll do nothing without the truth, says the preacher, the truth of God, and you must have that truth well understood you must grind your sickles it means you must sharpen them you must go to work with such cutting truths as justification by faith the total ruin of mankind the hope laid up in the cross the energy of the holy ghost when you know these truths and you know how to use them you shall then be made great reapers in the master's harvest so you need the laborers you need the the sickles of truth then you need some close binders because when the wheat is cut down you must tie it up with sheaves. We want some of you who cannot preach, who cannot use the sickle, to go and gather up the wheat which falls under the sickle when it's used by others. Invite them to come into church fellowship, talk to them, get them into union with the people of God, and oh if you happen to be in the church yourselves, try to keep the church knit together in love. So you may not be one of the, the men who goes out in and preaches in the streets. You may not be one of the pastors who preaches the good news from the pulpit, but you might be one of those who encourages and assists and uh, instructs the people who are being converted. And then you want some people to take the sheaves home. The church of God is the barn. It's the master's garner here, and he has another on the hilltop in heaven. But here we want you to assist in bringing them into the church of Christ. In the New Testament, with the uh, possible exception of that Ethiopian eunuch already mentioned in the sermon, uh, and you might also mention someone like the uh, the thief on the cross who's uh, at that very point in redemptive history, there are no new covenant believers, nobody after the church, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is assumed to be outside of a a local church and then we want some of you if you cannot do anything yourselves in reaping or binding or bringing the sheaves home at least by kind words and loving speeches bring refreshments to the reapers there are enough people who will tell preachers and evangelists that no one's going to be saved no one's going to be saved at least by your preaching Uh, there's no point in doing this we've tried that before and it doesn't work Please, please, encourage, however lacking in gift some of those people may be, however dull they may sometimes appear, however hard the work may seem to be. Refresh, encourage, uphold and pray for those who are going out. Tell them, uh, do not be discouraged. God has blessed you to my soul. God has owned your work in such and such cases. Persevere and God is with you. Now, he says, as I look around this congregation, I cannot help thinking what a mass of strength there must be here for the Lord's cause if it could but be brought out. You, young man, full of ability, who would take the lead in any society into which you choose to enter. Oh, young man, how I long for you as a recruit for my master and to enlist you in his service. If you were a Christian, or if being a Christian, you were all on fire with love to Christ, what might you not accomplish? And then he goes on to to the older lady who could train her family about her. Uh, The employer who has influence over a number of people uh, who are uh, hired by him. The the, the servants in families, those who are, are nursing. You get a sense of Spurgeon's Victorian context for sure. Again, we say, well he's preaching to thousands. I know, but you might be preaching to tens, and there could still be the one or the two who, if they were only enlivened and I'd say the same, how grievous it is when you see people who oh either they've got energy for anything but the church or they seem to have energy for nothing including the church, and you think you could do so much good, and yet there you are, flaky and fluffy and faffing about it's time that the the church of christ devoted her energies to the cause of the gospel oh my dear hearers he says i would almost say if you are members of my church here and are doing nothing get ye gone of what service can you be you are drags on the wheels you're an impediment to the church's course you're like the heavy baggage which impedes the armies of israel do something in God's name, I charge you, do something, or else be ashamed of yourselves. I wonder how you would feel if your preacher preached like that to you uh, on the coming Lord's Day. But again, perhaps too often we're, we're interested in, in mere numbers, and we've lost sight of the fact that we don't simply want numbers weighing down, we want a, a group of people who are stirred up for service. And so then the fears of harvest. What are the things that are associated with this season of harvest that would cause the the workers to tremble? Well, here's one. That through lack of labourers, the husbandman might be obliged, and husbandman here means that the farmer, that the farmer might be obliged to leave the wheat out in the field till it is considerably damaged. Now, Spurgeon's showing his... Uh, rural background, perhaps a little bit his understanding of the the rhythms of uh, agriculture in the uh, the place where he was born and bred out in Essex, but he, he says that there's this this danger that if if things are not done when they need to be done, the harvest itself will be ruined, and there's a further concern then, a further fear that the farmer may have not just that some of the field, the wheat in the field will be damaged, that it won't be brought in in time, but that some other wheat might remain unreaped and so be destroyed. And so he says, I charge you, if you would not see souls lost, rise and with the sickle get ye to the harvest. For meanwhile, do you not know that there are other reapers at work? If the Christian doesn't work, there are others who will labor. If the truth does not now spread among the masses, error is spreading." And he quotes a well-known sermon by the fantastic Reformation preacher, Hugh Latimer. If you're going to read someone apart from Spurgeon, you wouldn't do badly dipping into Latimer from time to time. And Latimer said that the busiest bishop in England was the devil, always travelling up and down his diocese, neither neglecting town nor village nor hamlet. So there, there are many people who are sowing error. We need to be sowing truth or bringing in the, uh, the harvest. And now, lastly, perhaps the most solemn reflection is that whether we gather in the harvest or not, there is a reaper who is silently gathering it every hour. He's reminding us that death is taking away some of those who need to hear the gospel. You cannot stop their dying, he says, but oh, that God might help you stop their being damned. You cannot stop the breath from going out of their bodies. But oh, if the gospel could but stop their souls from going down to destruction. I I can't read this to you in the way that I think Spurgeon preached it. I can't communicate, I think, the depth of urgency and distress in his voice. You know of him who died to save, he says. Tell them of him. Lift high the cross before their eyes. Tell them that God became man that man might be lifted up to God. Tell them of Calvary and its groans and cries and sweat of blood. Tell them of Jesus hanging on the cross to save sinners. Tell them that there is life for a look at the crucified one. Tell them that he is able to save to the uttermost all them that come unto God by him. Tell them that he is able to save at the eleventh hour and to say to the dying thief today shalt thou be with me in paradise here's the urgency then this is what's at stake this is the message we have this is the good news we preach this is the christ we proclaim this is the hope we offer this is the need that there is oh dear hearers While I am exhorting you who are Christians to look after strangers, says Spurgeon, I may well ask you to look over those who are sitting in the pews with you, for there are some of you who, if you were to die tonight, if instead of going down yonder steps beneath the columns you were to die in your seats, where would your souls go? You see, the burden of this sermon has been directed toward the Christian man, the Christian woman, those who have this uh, gospel sensitivity, this desire for a great gospel harvest. How then can he exhort them without also exhorting those to whom he's preaching who are not yet in the kingdom to come to Jesus Christ? And so he says, Sinner, look to Jesus and you shall be saved. Now trust Christ. Trust him only, trust him wholly, trust him earnestly, and you shall rejoice even tonight, and you shall be part of that wheat which is white already under harvest. Oh, my hearers, I am concerned for your souls. This is the kind of preaching that he's talking about. This is the kind of preaching that he's not only exhorting us to pursue, but that he is modelling for himself. The physician knocks at your door. He's speaking of Christ. He tells you of your disease. He proffers to you the remedy. He assures you of a complete and of an immediate cure. And you, oh madness and folly unspeakable, you hesitate to welcome him, and you reject, it may be, all his offered care. Then you must perish. So Spurgeon finishes this sermon on the need, the desire, the appetite, the expectation for the immediate harvest in calling the people to whom he preaches to come this very moment to Jesus Christ. Now, friends, this isn't just a matter of whipping up our energies, not just a matter of a bit more spit and sweat in the pulpit, not just a a bit more noise or a bit more seriousness or a certain kind of music or a certain kind of sermon. No, this is about us not deferring our expectations, believing that God can and does and will yet work and going to labour with confidence in the God who saves. To think about the people who have been converted, even ourselves, my friend, if you, why not others? To think about the work we should be engaged in, of telling the good news to sinners round. What a great saviour we have found. To think about the people who are coming to hear. You say, well, it's only one or two. Ah, that soul is worth a world. To think about the people who are being saved, men and women, people like us. Who is likely to be converted? There's no one who is a likely candidate. It's all of grace. Think about the sowing that's taken place, the watering, the plowing that's gone before. Think about those times, and perhaps there is a stirring among the people. Think of the opportunities, think of the needs, think of the prayers, and then pleading and praying with God, give us labourers. Give us a sense of the truth we preach. Give us some church members who are eager to see people come into the kingdom and into the kingdom visible in the local church. Give us some who will encourage and assist in bringing the sheaves home and then encourage those who are reapers. My friend, if you're in a church and you're not at work, then pull your finger out and get on with something for the cause of Jesus Christ. And if you say, all I can do is pray, then be a praying man, a praying woman. And consider that as the days and the weeks and the months passed, there is damage being done, there is destruction being wrought, there are those who would would pervert the, uh, the, the truth, those who would preach the lie, and there's a silent gathering in of a great harvest of death. We need then, while we have the opportunity, to preach a crucified Christ and if you're not yet a Christian and listening to this I should follow in Spurgeon's footsteps here and tell you I'm concerned for your souls and that the Jesus about whom Spurgeon has preached, the Jesus who is the very good news that we've been considering and discussing, that that Jesus will receive you now if you will come to him and trust your soul to him, that you being brought yourself into the Saviour's barn of the church, that you may then yourself become a true harvester in the cause of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to From the Heart of Spurgeon with me, Jeremy Walker. If you're liking this podcast, if it's any blessing to you, then please subscribe, recommend it to others, write a review on your favourite podcast app. And if you want to hear more like this, visit mediagratii.org. There you can find, first of all, a sign-up for, for this podcast where each week you'll get the reading scheme and a PDF of the featured sermon. That's at mediagratii.org slash podcasts. And you'll also find there uh, my Word in Season devotions. That was started during the, uh, the first COVID lockdown, just a, a five-minute devotional series, one a day to try and encourage and assist the people of God And then you'll find other things there like John Snyder's Behold Your God podcast. But do do expect, do believe, do hope that our God is not going to work, but is now working. And that the next time when we preach and the next time when we pray and the next time when we speak and the next time when we plead, that we can anticipate that our God can and will give the blessing from heaven. Take care. And God bless.